faithfulness. If you brought a Bible this morning, I want to invite you to go with me to the book of Acts, the 28th chapter of the book of Acts, the last chapter of this book of your New Testament, and we're going to be reading out of verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have it on the screen here in a few moments, and, uh, or you can look for it on your digital device there. But I want to speak from the life of the Apostle Paul after a great storm that he had experienced in his life. The Apostle Paul was a man, a mightily used by God, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wrote a better part of the New Testament, probably close to half of the New Testament, was written by the Apostle Paul. And when we read in the 28th chapter of Acts, we're reading the last accounts prior to uh, his death, as he is on a mission from God to bear witness to Jesus, of Jesus, to the Caesar, to the Roman emperor. And you can imagine the great uh, privilege it would be for Paul to travel to Rome and to preach the gospel to the emperor. He has been given an all-expense-paid trip to Rome uh, via the Roman prison system. And he has been uh, in a shipwreck uh, while being transferred to Rome. And we read here of the account following the shipwreck. Uh, Acts 28, verse 1. And when they had been brought safely through, then we found uh, out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us extraordinary kindness, for because of the rain... Uh, they had set in, and because of the cold, they kindled a fire and received us all. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself to his hand. When the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they began saying to one another, Undoubtedly this man is a murderer, and though he has been saved from the sea, Justice has not allowed him to live. However, he shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you this morning because you are the defense of the believer. I ask you this morning to anoint my lips of clay to preach the word of the living God. And I ask that you would anoint the congregation that in hearing the word, their hearts might be set ablaze by faith. We ask this in Jesus' name, and the church said amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. The Apostle Paul has found himself lost at sea for a time. He had been shipwrecked, and just prior to the shipwreck, God had spoken to him and told him, Paul, he said, you're going to experience a shipwreck, and the, the entire vessel is going to be destroyed, but... No lives will be lost of those who are traveling on this ship. And this was a blessing that God was extending to the people who were traveling with Paul. That so long as they stayed with the ship, that their lives would be spared, their lives would be saved. And so Paul, not being a seaman, not being anyone who had any experience with the sea, he wasn't a scholar, he was a man of the books, 
Having heard from God, he goes and he tells the captain of the ship, he says, there's going to be a shipwreck, but I have heard from the Lord. And the Lord says that anyone who will stay with the ship will be saved, and that no life will be lost, but the ship will be destroyed. And he used this phrase, which is so important for us to uh, realize and to use. He said, and I believe God. He said, God said no, one would, no one's life would be lost so long as you stayed with the ship. He said, and I believe God. And just in passing, I want to tell you, friend, that your life can only be saved if you stay with the ship. And the ship is Jesus. If you want to be saved, you've got to stick to Jesus. He is the only one that can rescue man from the shipwreck of the soul. And this morning, I want you to absorb the words of the Apostle Paul into your heart, into your mind. He said, I believe God. Those words are important because they, re they, uh, they reveal that Paul had a recognition of the fact that it's not just important to believe in God. A lot of people believe in God. What is important, however, is to believe God. It is a different thing to believe in God than it is to believe God. The Bible said that demons believe in God and they tremble, but the demons aren't being saved. They aren't being redeemed. And so it's not enough to just believe in God. It's not enough to just say, I believe a God exists, or I believe that there is a God out there somewhere, a, a higher power, a superior being. It is not enough to save you. You need to believe God. That means you need to put your faith in what God has spoken and what God has provided and what God has provided is salvation through his son Jesus Christ and when you and I begin to believe God we start taking steps of faith in our life that reveal that we not only believe in God we not only know that he exists but we believe his word we take him at his word and we stand upon what he has spoken and so Paul says I believe God and that night just as the Lord had revealed to him that ship uh, became a wreckage at sea and those who uh, had listened to his voice and stuck to the wreckage of that ship their lives were saved and no one was lost because God had spoken to the Apostle Paul and he had uh, he had held on to the promise of God and so now we find him after the storm after the, sh the wreckage and in the midst of this trouble that he and the people come on to shore at a little island called Malta. The Bible tells us two things were going on. It was, first of all, it was cold and it was raining. And so what the, uh, what the scripture tells us that they did first was that they began to build a fire. And I want to just give you a few simple instructions this morning of what to do after the storm. What do you do after a crisis or a shipwreck in your life? When you have come to a moment of difficulty, a moment of pressure, when you have come to a day of testing and a day of trial, what do you do when your faith has been shaken, when your, when your entire family has been shaken by circumstances and situations? The first thing you must do is you need to build a fire. Tell your neighbor, build a fire. What are you talking about, pastor? Build a fire. Well, the Bible talks about fire, and often it refers to God 
as a fire. A fire represents the presence of God. In fact, the Bible says that our God is a consuming fire. And when the Holy Spirit is described in the book of Acts, the Bible said that the Holy Spirit came upon the early church as cloven tongues as of a fire. And so fire represents the presence of God. And I want you to know, friend, this is simple instruction, but when you have come through a troubling time in your life, when you're going through a difficulty in your life, the most important thing to do is to seek the presence of God, to build a fire in your life, to find a place where you can get warm and you can get dry and you can get restored in your strength. When these people who were on the island of Malta, they saw these men and women coming from sea who had been shipwrecked, they built a fire so that they could warm themselves from the cold. And I just have to warn you that there is a great tendency in the human heart to grow cold toward God. How many of you know it's easy to get cold in your spiritual life? You know, it doesn't take any effort at all to get cold and to become a, a, uh, an indifferent person toward the presence of God. If you just start neglecting spiritual things, sooner rather than later, your life is going to begin uh, to show the chill of cold spiritual deadness. And often in the Bible, when God refers to man without him, when he refers to a, the spiritual life of a believer that has been neglected, he refers to it as being cold. He refers to it as being something that has become dormant, something that is dying. This morning, I just want to warn you not to let the, the fire in your life, in your spiritual life, get cold. Don't let your spiritual life get cold because when you do that, you, you put yourself in a place of exposure to the enemy's strategies and you don't have the defense that you need to be able to resist the wilds of the devil. So this morning, the first instruction is simple. It's build a fire. Have you been given bad news at work? Build a fire. Have you been given bad news from the doctor? Build a fire. Are you having some trouble in your family? Build a fire. Are you having some, some difficulties in your own heart? Build a fire. Get close to God. Seek the presence of the Lord. Find a place where your spirit can be renewed and where you can be in the presence of the almighty uh, consuming fire of God. They began to build a fire and the scripture tells us that Paul started to help building this fire. He started to lend a hand to the building of the fire. And so here's what you and I need to realize. God is the fire, but you and I often need to provide the firewood. Say amen, somebody. There is a lot that you and I can do to keep the fire burning in our heart, to keep that spiritual flame going in our heart. And so it's our responsibility to add the firewood to the fire that God has provided in our life. You say, Pastor, how do I add firewood to my life? Well, have you ever have you ever noticed what happens to a fire that you don't add fuel to, that you don't add firewood to? Eventually, that thing will start to die out. And so if you want to have a fire that lasts a long time, you've got to keep feeding it. 
You've got to keep putting some new uh, firewood in that fire. And when you and I are feeding the spiritual flame of God that is in us, we're feeding, feeding the flame of revival and awakening that is in our hearts, we put in the fire, the, the firewood of prayer. And when you begin to feed the fire with your prayer life, that fire keeps burning. You begin to feed the fire with worship. You continue to feed the fire with your, with your uh, fellowship with the believers. You begin to feed the fire with the study of the Word of God. And those things feed the flame. They fan the flame of God in your heart. But when those things begin to be neglected, that flame begins to die out. That flame begins to, to lose its, its strength. And although for a time it may be hot, just like the embers are hot, overnight those embers will become cold and you will find yourself like Paul in a cold and rainy spiritual winter. And so I caution you today, don't let the fire go out in your life. I don't care what happens in your life. Don't neglect the spiritual matters of life. Don't neglect the spiritual things of life because they are the very foundation. They are the strength of your life. And so Paul took it upon himself to start building this flame. And so you and I must do the same. When the Bible talks about the, the believer's life in this fire, often it uses a reference to a lamp. Our life, our spiritual life, is like, like a lamp. It needs to be filled with oil again and again. Because circumstances and situations will, will wear us down and, and the constant burning of that flame will cause the oil to be consumed. And so we need to have a spiritual life that is constantly being renewed, constantly being refreshed. That's why I'm glad you came to church this morning instead of staying at home in bed. And because you, need, you knew I need to put some logs on this fire. I need to put some oil in this lamp. I need to renew and refresh my spirit. What good is a lamp with no light? How many of you spent the night with no electricity the other day? Yeah, any of you do that? Yeah, I did that. And it was so dark at the parsonage. It was so dark I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. And, and you know, I had a, a flashlight. And that flashlight, fortunately, had batteries in it. So it was working real well for me. But what good is a flashlight with no batteries? What good is a lamp? with no light. It is of no use to you to have a, a lamp and say, I'm a Christian, and say, I'm a believer, and say, I walk with Jesus, but there's no light coming out of that lamp. No, you've got to be on fire. You've got to be set ablaze so that you can illuminate the world of a darkness around you. You know, the, uh, the famous evangelist Dwight Moody, he went to the trial of a man, he was being tried for his negligence on a railroad. His job on the on this particular railroad was at an intersection. His job was to wave a lamp in order to signal that it was safe to pass the intersection. And one night there was a terrible catastrophe, and two trains had collided at that intersection. And so this man was held accountable. He was held responsible, and they took him to trial. And while he was at the trial, the, the attorney asked him a pointed question. He said, sir, is it your job to wave a lamp 
to, uh, to the train in order to signal that it is safe or not safe to pass. He said, yes, sir, it is my job. He said, is it your job to signal to the train that they should stop by waving a lamp? He said, yes, sir, it is my job. He said, sir, on the night of the catastrophe, did you wave the lamp? He said, yes, sir, I waved the lamp. And he said, then why did this thing happen? He said, I don't know. And over again, the attorney would ask him, are you sure that you waved the lamp? He said, yes, I waved the lamp, sir. And on and on, this interrogation went without any resolution. Finally, the, the man asked him one more question. He said, sir, can I ask you this? Was there any light in the lamp? He said, no, sir, there was no light in the lamp. You see, friends, what good is it to have a lamp if there is no light in it? Only the light can avoid the catastrophes that come into your life. And so you need to have a fire that is constantly burning. Somebody say this morning, keep the fire burning. You and I have a responsibility before God to keep the flame burning. Scripture says that in the last days, the iniquity of the, day, of the last days would be so great that the love of many would wax cold. You realize that there is a coldness that is setting upon the generation in which we live. You and I must be careful to always keep a light in the lamp, to always keep a fire burning. The old preacher wrote the hymn that said, uh, he said, send the fire. He said, God of Elijah, hear our cry and send the fire today. He said, God of Pentecost, send the fire. And God sent fire to America in the 1800s that brought revival and renewal for generations. You and I must again adopt the words of the old hymn and say, oh God, send the fire again. Send the fire to America. Send the fire to our pulpits. Send the fire to our hearts. Let us burn with holy fervor and holy passion for the living God. Come on, somebody. Get the fire burning and in your heart. And if, if you've gone through a crisis, if you've gone through a, a test of temptation and a, a trial in your life, you must first build a fire, draw near to the presence of the living God. Now, the Bible tells us something else happened that day, that while Paul was building the fire, he grabbed some uh, firewood and he laid it upon the fire, and a snake that was running from the heat, reached out or, or, or uh, sprung out and bit him in the hand. The Bible said it was a viper. So this was a very deadly snake, and it should have killed him instantly. But I want you to notice, first of all, that the snake came as a result of the fire. So what am I telling you this morning? I'm telling you that the moment you decide to serve God, the moment you decide to live a life on fire for Jesus, the moment you decide to be a card-carrying member of the household of God, that there are going to be some snakes that come out in your life. Am I telling the truth to anybody this morning? Have any of you run into some snakes lately? 
You might say, Pastor, before I got saved, I didn't have any problems. Soon as I got saved, snakes started coming out of everywhere. There started being issues all over the place. Well, friend, the snakes come out because of the heat. The moment that you start drawing near to God, the snakes in your life say, I got to get out of here. I can't stand the heat. And so the snakes start to come out, and, and you and I have to be aware of the fact that there are going to be some snakes that start coming out when the heat is on. So, watch out for the snakes. Beware of the snakes. Now, the Bible talks a lot about snakes. It says in Genesis 3 that when Satan appeared in order to tempt Adam and Eve, that he took the form of a snake. He took the form of a serpent. And he came in order to, uh, to deceive them. And so one of the greatest snakes that you and I have to watch out for is a snake of deception. The snake of satanic deception always comes out to try to rob you of the blessing of serving God. He'll try to rob you of the blessing of walking in the light of that all-consuming fire. So you've got to look out for that snake. There's another time we see snakes in the book of Numbers. And they were the wrath and judgment of God on the people because they began to complain against the Lord. And they began to complain against the manna. And so you also have to watch out for the snake of complaint and the snake of a bad tongue. Any of you have, uh, are any of you guilty of ever having the bad tongue, of just being a complainer? Well, I want you to say that is a snake. And if you aren't careful, a complaining will rob you of many blessings in your life. You know what the antidote is to complaining? When you get, when you get down and you just want to complain about how bad things are and how difficult your life is and how you wish things were different, what I want you to do is turn that around and start thanking God. Because it is impossible to, to complain while you're thanking God. You start saying, Lord, I thank you because of the husband I do have. I thank you because of the wife I do have. I thank you because of the job that I have. Come on, somebody. I thank you because of the kids that I have. I may not have everything I want, but I have everything I need, and I thank you, and I praise you, and I bless you, and while you start doing that, you realize that those, those uh, complaints start fading away, and you realize I have it better than I thought I had it. God has been good in my life. Another time we see a snake in the Bible is in Acts chapter 16. This time, the Bible calls a spirit by the name of a snake. There is a, a, a spirit in the book of Acts chapter 16. It's called the python spirit. And if you know anything about a python, I've never met a python personally. I have held an anaconda once, but never a python. A python will uh, surround its victim. Uh, just like a lady out in the jungle I heard about that she had a snake for a pet. Uh, this is your pastor's best advice this morning. No snakes for pets, okay? She had a snake for a pet, and this thing would sleep with her in her bed. And, uh, and uh, after a while, she started asking around some questions, and, and people said, the snake does what? And she said, it, it's, it comes into my bed, and it sleeps with me in the bed. And uh, it, it cuddles up right next to me. And they said, you know what that snake is doing? They said, she, they said no. She said, no. He said, that snake's preparing to eat you. 
and uh, he is just sizing you up so he can know if he can e eat you or not. I have seen some big snakes out in the, in the Amazon jungle, but the python is just like that. It comes and prowls around and prepares to eat its victim, and what it does is it starts wrapping them around, and then it starts squeezing, and as it is squeezing the life out of their victim, it is uh, preparing its, its dinner, essentially. And so the python spirit comes in order to squeeze the life out of your faith. He comes to squeeze the life out of your Christian walk. And so you've got to decide, I'm not going to be hanging around with the python. I'm not going to have snakes for pets. I'm not going to play games with the devil. Come on, somebody. I'm going to live as far away from that deceptive and lying spirit as I can. Come on. You and I have to make up our mind. I'm not going to have any snakes for pets. I don't care how cute the demon is that came into your life last week. You need to ask him to leave out the front door because there's no room in your life for that iniquity, for that shame, for that sin. But the snakes come out because of the heat. And this snake came out. It's a viper. And it clung to Paul's hand. It literally seized him by the hand. Now, I, th I think about this. I grew up in the country. Most of the snake bite stories I have heard refer to being bitten in the foot or the leg by a snake. So I think, why was, this, why was Paul bitten in the hand? It's easier to bite in the, in the foot or the leg. But see, here you have this issue, is that the enemy comes... And he wants to bite at your hand. Why? Because in the Bible, our hands represent the power of the believer For in a few ways. First of all, our hands represent our ability to pray. They represent the ability of the priest to take a hold of the, uh, the horns of the altar and go into intercession on behalf of the nation of the family. And so our hands are implements of prayer. And when the enemy wants to bite at your hands so that he can get you to stop praying, get you to stop interceding and standing in the gap for your family. You've got to make sure that you don't let the devil have your prayer life. That you don't let the enemy have your life of intercession before God. There's another thing we do with our hands and that is that we worship with our hands. The Bible says that we lift up holy hands and this is an act of worship and adoration to the living God. So why does the devil bite at your hands? Because he wants to keep you from worship. Worship. He wants to keep you from the, the adoration of the living God. Haven't you noticed that sometimes you come to church and you don't have any desire to worship? You don't want to sing. You don't even want to be here, right? You're thinking about all the things you got to do when you get out, and you're, you're about ready for the preacher to wrap it up. But then the songs start going, and uh, you start mouthing the words, and then you start uh, getting into the spirit. You start singing the words of that song, and then all of a sudden, uh, one of your hands goes up, and then the other. And before you know it, you're worshiping God freely and the burdens are gone, the cares are gone, the concerns are gone and worship has brought freedom into your life. Why do you think the devil wants to keep you from worshiping? Because he knows the power of a worshiping saint. So the next time you get into trouble, start worshiping God in the middle of that thing and watch God show up and show off in your life. Come on somebody, give the Lord praise in his house because he is worthy to receive it.
Another thing that we do with our hands is the spiritual practice of fasting. You say, Pastor, what do my hands have to do with fasting? Your hands have everything to do with fasting. Some of you may not even know what fasting is. That's when you stop eating for a time of spiritual devotion. You take a few meals off. You say, what do my hands have to do with that? Well, it's your hands that feed you, and it's your hands that don't feed you. And so uh, when, we, when we begin to fast, the church uh, lays down its, its fork and spoon, and it, it turns its plate over, and it says, God, instead of eating, I want to spend some time with you, and I want to remind my flesh that it's not in charge. And so our hands become an implement of battle against the enemy when we begin to fast and the enemy wants to strike at those things in your life that are going to encourage your spiritual life he wants to strike at those things that are going to build you up in your inner man there's another thing we do with our hands as believers and that is that we give generously with our hands and so the enemy bites at your hands because he doesn't want you to give he doesn't want you to share what God has given into your life because if he can keep you from giving and he can keep you from sharing then he'll keep you down and he'll keep you broke and he'll keep you defeated but he knows if you start doing what God does if you start giving if you start sowing seed that blessing is going to come into your life and so the enemy strikes at your hands. And so this morning, I want you to know the snakes are going to come out. And the snakes are going to strike at your hands. They're going to try to take your purpose and the thing that God has given for you to do. But you have to do what Paul did. Now let's notice simply what Paul did. He was, he was bit by this snake. And the scripture says that he shook it off in the fire. Now, there's two things I want you to notice there. First of all, he shook it off. Say, shake it off. And the next thing he did was he shook it off in the fire. You and I have to learn that when a harsh sting, a, 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 a pain comes into our life, when you get bad news, when you get a difficult situation, when, when you are confronted by temptation in your life, you and I have to learn to do what Paul did and just shake it off. Any of you ever have a coach that told you, just walk it off, just walk it off, right? You, you have to make up a decision. I am not going to let this thing take me down. And Paul shook that thing off. Not only did he shake it off, but he shook it off into the fire. What was he saying? He was saying, God, I'm going to let you handle this thing. I'm going to give this problem to you and he he leaves it in the hands of the all-consuming fire you see God is not only able to deal with you but he can also deal with the devil that's trying to destroy you and he will deal with him well dealt come on somebody God is able to deliver so I want you to shake it off first of all because God is your defense the Bible said that no weapon Formed against us will prosper because this is the inheritance of the children of God. And no tongue that rises up against you in judgment uh, will be able to condemn you or curse you because this is your inheritance. Listen, saints, you and I have been given a promise from God. God says when the enemy strikes at you, shake it off because I am your defense. I am the one who will uphold you and no weapon 
and no strategy of hell will be able to come against you and destroy you. Come on, somebody. You and I have the protection of the Almighty God on our behalf. He says, and no tongue that rises up against you in judgment will be able to curse you. You know, there's a lot of wagging tongues out there that would like to curse your life. There are a lot of tongues that would like to uh, curse your marriage, that would like to curse your family. But you see, when you're under the blood, hell can't curse you. When you're under the blood, doesn't matter what the witches do, they can't touch you. Come on, somebody, because you are, you are protected by the almighty hand of God. So shake it off. Tell your neighbor, shake it off. Did you get some bad news this week? Shake it off. Did you get some difficult things? Did you hear some things you didn't want to hear? Shake it off. Did you make some mistakes last week? Did you blow it? Shake it off. Get up and go at it again. In the name of Jesus, you have the defense of the Lord on your side. Now, the other reason that you and I need to shake it off is because of this very simple fact. You did not survive the shipwreck to die at the campfire. All right. Are you listening to me? Paul had this very clear thing in mind. I am on a mission from God. I am going to preach to Caesar. I am going to let the entire Roman Empire know that there is a God in heaven who saves through the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son. I didn't come this far to die right here. I am going to finish the mission. Come on, somebody. If God has put a purpose on your life, you will not be taken down until you have fulfilled your purpose. Paul was conscious of this fact that he had come this far and that God was going to take him the whole distance. I want you to know this morning that you didn't survive the things that you survived in your past so you could come and die in this problem you're in right now. Come on, somebody. You didn't survive all that abuse and all of that trouble and all of that all of that pain. You didn't survive drug addiction. You didn't survive cancer. You didn't survive hell itself in order to come and die in this puddle of water. Come on, somebody. God has a purpose over your life, and he is going to fulfill the mission that he has given to your life. So tell your neighbor, I'm not done yet. Paul knew, I got to shake this thing off because I'm not done yet. Now, it's possible that uh, the venom of this snake could have killed Paul in an instant. In fact, the people who saw this happen to Paul expected him to swell up and die. And there are actually people in our lives every once in a while who are watching for us to die. Did you know that? There's some people in your life that are just waiting for you to fail. They're just saying, well, let's see how long this Christianity thing this Christianity thing works. Let's see how long this going to church every Sunday morning thing works. Let's see how long they can keep this job. Let's see if they can finish this degree. Let's see if they can make it through this marriage. And on and on they go. And I just want you to stand up this morning and tell them, keep on waiting because I have a word from the Lord. I am going forward. Come on, somebody. Let them wait. Let them watch. God is for you. And if God be for you, then who can and be against you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Tell him, devil, you're going to have to wait a long time for me to give up. You're going to have to wait a long time for me to quit because what God has begun in my life, God is going to finish in my life. 
Tell, tell the haters in your life, don't hold your breath. Come on, somebody. Don't hold your breath. God is on my side. God is with my marriage. God is with my family. God is with my children. He didn't bring me this far to leave me. He didn't bring me this far to fail. He had a conviction that God brought him this far and would take him the whole way. I'm going to give you a fact, all right? Every one of us, short of the rapture of the church, every one of us is going to die. All right? You just need to know that. But here's the truth. None of you will die one moment before you have finished the purpose of God in your life. Come on, somebody. You will complete what God has called you and, and designed you to do in this life. So shake it off. I don't know what you're carrying around, but I want you to just shake it off this morning and leave it in the fire. Leave it in the flame. Just let God handle it. Let God deal with it. Because only God can. All right? Now it's your turn. I want you just to raise your hands right where you are. Would you stand with me, please? Raise your hands where you are and start building a fire. Come on, start building a fire. Just start worshiping God. Start honoring God. The Bible said no harm came to Paul. Maybe if he had focused on it, maybe if he had, if he had put his mind on that venom, it would have killed him. But he started, to, he started to just shake it off and say, God, you're bigger than this mess. You're bigger than this problem. I didn't look for this snake. This snake came out of nowhere. But this morning, I believe that you have a purpose on my life. I believe you have a call on my life. And that you're going to fulfill it in me and in my marriage and in my family. Come on, where's the voice of the church? Build a fire, Kingsway. Build an altar. Hallelujah. Come on, build a fire in your spirit. Don't let coldness get you. Don't let coldness drag your spirit down. Shake it off. Shake it off. Shake off discouragement. Shake off fear. Shake off doubt. Shake it off. Unbelief is gone in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Come on, let's come into this altar this morning. Bring your faith with you. Bring that trouble to the fire and just let it, let it go. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, Lord of all. Come on, build a fire. Build a fire in your spirit. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Almighty God, send the fire. Send that fire of revival. That quickening flame. 